DJI is one of the most prolific consumer drone manufacturers in the world, and this week it added a new toy to its lineup, the DJI Mavic Air 2. As a lover of technology, I can tell you that drones get me down to the cockles of my heart. Putting a camera in the sky under your control gets you incredible views of the landscape, and it's fun as hell. So we've brought on our longtime friend, Jonathan Feist, managing editor of DroneRush.com, to tell us all about that and some other drones you might like to play with. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week I'm happy to have on my buddy and longtime podcast partner, Jonathan Feist, to talk about DJI's big drone news of the week. Oh, and speaking of news of the week, let's dive into, well, you know, the news of the, never mind, just go. Before we jump into the news of the week, actually, as a responsible journalist, I need to enter a correction onto the record. Last week, I said the most annoying thing about the quarantine was conspiracy theorists, and I cited a number of inconveniences that didn't bug me nearly as much as them. Well, I'm changing my answer. I would go burn down a 5G tower myself if it got my kids to get along for one goddamn second of one goddamn day. Sorry, folks. It's been a hell of a week. Moving on. Starting off our news of the week and bookending our podcast is the DJI Mavic Air 2. This is the successor to the Mavic Air released about three years ago. DJI has dominated the consumer drone space, first creating the iconic Phantom line of drones and then moving into ultra-portable drones with the foldable Mavic line. The Mavic Air is basically the Mavic Pro Lite with a smaller camera sensor, a little lighter weight, and really that's about it. It's a powerful machine and it starts at around $800. Personally, I have to think that the Mavic Mini for $400 is a better drone deal from a strictly flight experience standpoint. The camera on the Mavic Air is very, very much better, so if you're interested in a great camera, the Air 2 is the way to go. But if you just want a solid flight with some pretty good photos and video, take a look at the Mavic Mini, which, by the way, I'll be reviewing for board at work in the not-too-distant future. We'll dive way, way, way into the Mavic Air 2 when we talk to Johnny Feist in a bit, but since we're talking about the Mavic Mini. DJI also released a firmware update for the aforementioned Mavic Mini, and drone lovers are dousing their drawers at the prospect of manual video controls allowing for what they're calling more cinematic shots, which is great, albeit at 2.7K, and if you're on YouTube, it's 8K Red Camera or GTFO, bro. But seriously, this is a pretty neat update, which I'll be sure to play with once I put the drone in the air. Now that it's not blisteringly cold outside and I actually have some time in my schedule, I should be able to start that soon. And by the way, I love my job. Elon Musk says that the future is so bright, his satellites gotta wear shades, which is great, but not nearly as catchy as the song. Elon Musk has been testing some ways to keep his Starlink satellites from being so bright in the night sky so as to impede stargazers and astronomers. His latest solution is basically sunlight-blocking shades, keeping Starlink antennas from reflecting the sunlight. Originally, SpaceX tried experimental dark sets, 
air quotes, which were basically Starlink satellites painted black. Those worked okay, but SpaceX hopes that this 2.0 approach will more effectively make satellites invisible. Right now, with only 422 Starlink satellites, this isn't too much of a problem. When that number increases slightly to 12,000, well, yeah, that could be a bit of an issue. Well, here's hoping that Elon's patio umbrellas will be put to good use in space and those satellites stay out of sight, and depending on SpaceX marketing, perhaps out of mind as well. Speaking of Elon Musk, he knows a lot about space and satellites, which means he's pretty good at solving problems like this. Unfortunately, smart guys tend to think that they're smart about everything, and Elon's latest quest is... well... Less than smart. Musk has for weeks been downplaying coronavirus, first saying several weeks ago that the coronavirus panic was, quote, dumb. And that's a direct quote, by the way. Well, I can think of about 3,336,701 people who don't think it's so dumb, and 235,245 people who don't think at all because they're fucking dead, Elon. But hey, smart guys got a smart, so Elon knows what's best for everybody, and what's best is to get people in his factories back to work. I mean, everyone, everywhere back to work, or maybe not everyone, just so long as he can still make his cars. So Elon being Elon, he took to Twitter with his thoughts, which millions of folks were more than ready to pick up on. But he didn't stop there. No, he actually went on a mini rant during a goddamn earnings call with investors. You know, people who think he's smart and should be given money. About how shelter-in-place orders are fascist and how people need to be given back their goddamn freedom. Again, a direct quote. So they can go back to work and make his cars. Look, folks, I have a lot of respect for Elon Musk. He's made electric cars and space exploration commercially viable, which is no small feat. But the dude often doesn't know when to shut up and stay in his lane. He wants to make money, and I get that. But he can only make money when other people are making his cars, and I get that too. But I really don't want to see these shelter-in-place orders lifted too soon and have all this coronavirus crap start up all over again, because that could easily turn into another 245,000 people or more before all is said and done. Let's be cautious and annoyed because it's slow and it's working rather than owning electric cars, but you know, dead because a rich guy wants to keep getting rich. Except maybe not, because on Friday, Musk, in very Musk-like fashion, went back to Twitter and said, quote, Tesla stock price is too high, I-M-H-O, Again, a direct quote, and it turns out investors agreed, selling off a crapload of it and wiping out about $4 billion with a B dollars of its market value. Um, whoops. And maybe this is a good time to remind folks that according to the Financial Times, in 2018, after another set of tweets landed Musk in the defendant's chair against the Justice Department, Musk had to agree to, quote, get pre-approval from Tesla's lawyers for any communications relating to the company made in any format, including, but not limited to, posts on social media, for example, Twitter. I'm fairly confident that that tweet does indeed constitute a communication about the company, air quotes, and I'd be willing to bet that if a lawyer agreed to let that tweet go out, a weapon of some kind or an extreme lack of sleep was involved. No word on whether or not Musk will get in trouble this time, too, but it seems kind of likely. 
But let's move on from Elon. When I appeared on All About Android this week, check out my blog post on it, BT Doves, we talked about the Motorola Edge Plus and how it was an impressive phone. Well, J.R. Raphael over at Computer World had another take on it, and that is the fact that the Motorola Edge Plus has only been guaranteed to release one operating system upgrade in its lifetime. That is, it ships with Android 10, and the phone will get Android 11, which, by the way, is coming out later this year, and that's it. The phone will get security updates for two years, which is nice, but as for Android 12, which will come out less than two years after the Moto Edge Plus, nada or at least nothing promised. Now, to be fair, Motorola did promise us three years of Moto Mods and gave us four, so it's possible there could be other software updates in the future. But as for promises now, just the one on a $1,000 phone. Now, personally, I put software updates fairly low on my list of priorities when it comes to phone purchases. But I can also tell you that when Android 10 came out with its permissions locked down on location data, gas buddy, and I found out that my BlackBerry Key 2 wouldn't get it, I dropped it pretty quick. It's not really about the updates, but the features that come with them, and if you don't care about that, then that's cool. But in a world of Android fragmentation, this is a black eye on Motorola's grand re-entry into the flagship space. So, buyer beware. And since we're piling onto Motorola right now, Android Police takes a look at how much life has crapped all over my poor fellow Chicagoans in the merchandise mart. Specifically, the coronavirus screwed up several events that could have made the Edge Plus' introduction pretty awesome, including MWC and Google I.O. Basically, years of planning and R&D went down the drain, with Moto being unable to launch the phone to as much fanfare as possible. Respectfully, I think I mostly disagree with this article because Motorola is getting press. Probably about as much press as it would have gotten if the phone had launched at MWC. Maybe a dozen or so outlets would have released a hands-on preview of the phone, followed by a full review down the road, but that's really about the only boost that they would see. The tech pundits are all getting the phone to play with, and reviews are lauding, and there's legitimately a lot to like about this phone. But the lack of stage at MWC will not be why this phone fails to compete with Samsung. Samsung will be why this phone fails to compete with Samsung. When one quarter of Samsung's advertising budget accounts for, I don't know, a year's worth of operating costs for Motorola, it's an uphill battle, and by the way, I'm totally making those numbers up. Yeah, MWC and Google I.O. may have given Moto a bit of a bump, but this phone will have to stand on its own two feet, and it mostly does. The challenge will be for Motorola to stand on its own two feet year after year after year and keep the hits coming, and no amount of stage time at MWC will fix that. Last weekend, 1.5 million Australians downloaded and installed an app called COVID Safe, which uses anonymous Bluetooth identifier beacons to say, hey, what's up to each other? We actually talked about this last week. Well, the app is out there now, if you're Australian. You can't find it in the US App Store yet, either one, so it seems to be a phased rollout. Some folks are suspicious, government tracking and all that. It's mostly tech people that are pretty okay with it, while muggles are 
suspicious. Personally, I'll install it when it becomes available, but seeing as how I'm the designated person in the house to go shopping, I will almost certainly run into someone who contracted COVID-19. It doesn't mean that I'll catch it myself because I'm wearing gloves and a mask and I just bought the biggest bottle of hand sanitizer I've ever seen, so even if I get a notification that I ran into somebody, it's just Bluetooth. We could have been on opposite sides of the aisle as far as it knows, but it'll be a great way to ramp up my paranoia, which is always fun. And speaking of paranoia, we're big fans of space on this show, as you may have guessed by now. Space is really cool and worthy of every dollar that we spend to explore it. But I wouldn't go there if you paid me. Why? Because space is pretty much always trying to kill you, and it's only through Herculean efforts by man that staves off space from destroying everything that we send up there. And it's not even like outer space. Keep in mind, pretty much everything that we've ever done lies between the Earth and the Moon, and that's mostly like in orbit rather than actually outer space. We don't even have a prototype for sending people to outer, outer space yet. So Wired took the time and effort to detail just how many ways outer space can kill you and, well, it's a lot. Thank you, no, I will keep myself well within Earth's gravity for the time being. I respect the hell out of people who go there and the other people who send them there, Elon Musk included. But being in outer space is not a hell that I envy. Reviews have started rolling in for Google's refresh of the Google Pixel Buds. Now, they're true wireless headphones because of course they are. Reviews are very, very positive, glowing even. Really, the only downsides are a lack of noise cancellation and a mere five hours of battery life. And five hours is not bad, though it doesn't stack up to the 11 hours on the Galaxy Buds, so touche on that point. Noise cancellation is a very nice to have in earbuds, especially when you're driving or riding a bike, which, by the way, are two times that you absolutely should not use noise cancellation, but I do. So if one day this podcast mysteriously goes off the air, there's a good chance that I've been hit by a truck or a train or something, and it was my own stupid fault. Anyway, the bud started $179, which is not a bad price point. I'll pass, but that's mostly because I already have several sets of true wireless earbuds, so I'm pretty good for now. A few years ago, some videos leaked of Navy pilots trying to track down some UFOs. Now, when I say UFOs, I don't mean E.T. or the Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean literally unidentified flying objects, which for the record, we can't scientifically prove were not driven by a cybernetically enhanced raccoon. I wouldn't put money on it, though. Well, now the videos have been declassified since literally the whole world has seen them anyway. So it's not the most remarkable news of the week, but it is interesting that they stayed classified this long anyway. Will we ever meet E.T.? Maybe. Will Navy pilots be the first to spot them? That's likely. But what will the aliens do when they find out who's in charge of our armed forces? God help us all. Fortunately, for like literally everyone involved, the investor calls for Alphabet and Amazon went much smoother than Tesla's, but it was a fairly low bar. Over at Alphabet, advertising revenue met expectations but took a dramatic downturn in March since the prime advertisers, namely travel and new products, failed to inspire the imaginations of folks constantly Googling coronavirus numbers over and over again. Google expects Q2 to be a rough one unless Elon Musk has his way and we're all set free or some such nonsense. 
Over at Amazon, Jeff Bezos said the good news was Amazon made a ton of profits this past quarter. But the bad news is that just about every cent of those profits would be spent on keeping workers safe in Q2, to the tune of about $4 billion with a B dollars, by the way. And that's just keeping Amazon employees safe. This isn't related to first responders and the like. Amazon is as popular as ever since people can't, you know, leave the house to go buy things. So they're staying home and buying things, but Amazon workers are humans, and humans and the coronavirus do not mix. Unless, of course, you work at Tesla. Just when you thought you'd figured out OnePlus, they go all OnePlus again. Images leaked out this week of a rumored OnePlus Z that we expected to see at OnePlus's launch event. It turns out OnePlus seems to be working on a mid-range phone to complement its flagship lineup. But the mid-ranger won't come out until summer, around July timeframe if rumors are to be believed. Of course, as I just said, this is a rumor with no confirmation, so it's possible OnePlus is going OnePlus again, or OnePlus might just be OnePlusing and leaving OnePlus behind. So at least it's not confusing. And finally, one man who goes by the name Guitar Hero Addict played one of the most impressive displays of Guitar Hero I've ever seen, but I admittedly don't generally watch those displays. Anyway, this dude ripped through the song Through the Fire and the Flames by artist Dragon Force, and that alone bears the question, if you're going through the fire, doesn't that necessitate going through the flames as well? It's not like this is some stuntman negotiating his contract. Alright, now listen here. I'll go through the fire. But I ain't going through no flames. That costs extra. Anyway, the dude killed it, then full comboed it at 165% speed. I could play a clip for you, but basically all it is is with some music barely playing under it. Check out the video in the show notes at benefitofadow.com and maybe sit down first because it's pretty intense. are a passion of mine. I love putting machines into the sky under my control, and I'm a pretty good pilot if I do say so myself. Anyway, this week saw the release of a DJI Mavic Air 2, which is a significant addition to the DJI lineup, and my old friend Jonathan Feist came on to talk about it and about drones in general. Here's Mr. Feisty. Our guest on the podcast tonight is a man who has been in this industry for a long time. He started off as your average code monkey IT guy until he got a calling to Android Authority. Not content to sit idle, he went on to write for various sister sites like VR Source and Charged until, damn it, he decided to fill an unfilled need and launch and run DroneRush.com, a site dedicated to, you guessed it, drones. From DJI to... Well, more DJI. Jonathan Feist is an expert in the field. If it hovers in the air, but not more than 400 feet up, this man has covered it. You won't find him on Twitter, but you will find him on this podcast. Jonathan Feist, my old podcast compadre. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Adam. Uh, yes, my head has always been in the clouds, so I made a job of it. What can I say? Yeah, and you know, one thing that I learned while we were podcasting together on the Android Authority podcast was that you've actually flown, like, not drones, but actual planes, which I thought just kind of upped your street cred even more, so congrats oh, on yeah. that. Oh, yeah, if I had better vision, I would have followed through with the, the pilot training and, and, you know, did some test flights and stuff where, uh, you know, I was never the actual pilot in command, 
but it was great fun to, to take control of the sticks and, and put a plane through the air. I bet. I bet. So now that the reason that you're on the podcast this particular week is because we mentioned DJI during the intro and DJI had a, a fairly big announcement this week. And I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through what's going on with the DJI Mavic Air 2. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, DJI has released their first iteration of ADS-B receiver. This means you can track live air traffic. And you know what? This receiver comes with a drone. Nice. Nice. <laughs> I, I sense there's some sarcasm in there, but uh, let's go ahead. No, and, uh... no, no, no. This is this is an amazing thing. Oh, we'll talk about ADS-B later. It's uh, safety and more of the legal side of the conversation. But the drone itself, I'm really excited that the sort of I have mixed feelings on this. The original Mavic Air, if you guys recall that one. If you're familiar with the look and feel of specifically DJI drones, uh, the Mavic Pro came out in 2016. It had this gray color to it. It had this unique folding design to it that yeah. has persisted through all Mavic drones except the Mavic Air. The original Mavic Air was a completely different design. Okay, okay. The Mavic Air 2 reverts back to the, air quotes, Mavic drone design. So that, that's kind of exciting, but at the same time, it's just another play, plain gray drone on my shelf, you know? <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. No, I get that. I get that. I always thought that gray was a questionable color choice, considering you're flying it up against the sky and you have to keep these things in sight. Wouldn't bright orange be a better color? Just, bright, just by yep. two cents, but whatever. <laughs> uh, and that is exactly why the commercial-grade drones and commercial equipment and, and clothing and stuff is orange. It catches the eye. Not the same as red for advertising, but, you know, orange catches the eye. It's good for safety, definitely. Absolutely. And we will talk about... We will talk about uh, professional-grade equipment probably on another podcast, though. We're going to keep it more consumer-friendly this this particular episode. But, I mean, the commercial uses for drones are fascinating, but that's a conversation for another time. So let's uh, circle back to the Mavic Air 2. What's Why is this drone a big deal, or is it a big deal? This drone can be a big deal. It, it depends on what you want and need out of a drone. Okay. Uh, one of the first things, obviously, that I did, uh, I've got a review unit from DJI. Thank you, DJI. Uh, one of the first things I did was put it up into the sky, and I took some photo and video. You know, just nothing fancy. Just get it up there and see what the camera can do. Yeah. Uh, one of the modes, uh, and there's several panoramic modes within there, but one of them is a 180-degree panoramic. It, it just takes this shot. It... Uh, I got it back to my computer. I put it up on the biggest computer monitor I've got. And wow, what a photo. Really? The, the, nice. Yeah, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. You start zooming in on it, you start to see things breaking down. You can see, you know, the top half of the image, which is the horizon and sky, is is perfectly blended and everything. And the very, very bottom is, is you know, the drone almost pointing down. And just the curvature of a panoramic, you start to get the warping of... Uh, Sure. Anyways, you know, sure. it, it's not a DSLR. It, it isn't. However, uh, DJI has bumped up from their typical 1 over 2.3 inch sensor to now a 1 over 2 inch sensor. It doesn't sound like much, but we're also bumping from 12 megapixels to 48 megapixel sensor. Nice. And so, so. The, the camera on this thing is incremental upgrade on paper. 
But if you're familiar with smartphones and the 48 megapixel sensors out there with pixel binning to produce 12 megapixel photos, the result is quite slick, especially once you start considering in the, uh, I, mean, I, I don't want to say the Google approach, but DJI has definitely done a whole lot with software and their HDR technology and, and just the, you know, the software smarts to be able to tweak the photos and get the best out of them, the, okay. regardless the sensor size. I am very impressed so far. Okay. Just out of curiosity, that that 48 megapixel camera that they're using, is that the same Sony, was it the IMX586 or something like that, that uh, smartphones were using? Or is this their own 48 megapixel? Or I should say probably somebody else's. Or maybe it's DJI's. I don't know. Is it one that DJI built themselves? Or did they <laughs> buy it from somebody? Or where did that come from? Indeed, that is the Sony IMX586 sensor. And that's kind of why I referenced the smartphone world. Because... Yeah. I mean, we've seen this stuff, and and that's the bottom line, is the best consumer-grade camera drones are essentially just smartphones, the best, you know, flagship smartphones. It's the same camera technology and a Which lot of the same great. software in the back end, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. And I saw that there was also OcuSync 2.0. What's the significance of OcuSync 2.0 being on board the DJI Mavic Air 2? So for those who do not know, let's talk about OcuSync in general, regardless of 2.0. Okay. Um, OcuSync is one of DJI's custom in-house connectivity protocols. The real power here is that you're, you know, a lot of your standard RC connectivity Uh, it's limited. For example, you'll be using maybe the 2.4 gigahertz band to send navigation controls and then the 5.8 gigahertz band to send a video signal back to your controller so you can do the live view. With OcuSync, DJI is sending multiple navigation and multiple video streams back and forth. So you can connect, you know, for example, you can be using the DJI goggles or you know, you a friend can be using the DJI goggles, watching the live view of the camera whilst you are controlling the drone and you can see the live view on your smartphone attached to the remote. Neat. And, and in addition to that, uh, the DJI goggles, for example, can also use the internal gyroscope of the headset as input controls to the drone. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it can't do much. Most of the time, you just attach it to the camera gimbal, so whoever's wearing the headset can actually move their head, which moves the gimbal of the drone, whilst the pilot navigates the drone. You know? I mean, you're saying but, that's uh, not a big deal, but to me, that sounds awesome. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 in. Go for it. <laughs> Love oh, that. Definitely. Yeah, so, I mean, that is the power of OcuSync, is it has the extra layers, which gives you stability, gives you, you know, the consistency and the controls. Uh, and one of the biggest things with the Mavic Air 2 is they've bumped up the range. They've, they increased the power. So now you're looking at up to 10 kilometers of connectivity. That's 6.2, roughly 6.2 miles of connectivity. Good Lord. Wow, that's crazy. So it's good to know that the Mavic Air 2 has that additional range, so you can get out as far as the eye can see, literally. So that's uh, oh, that's yeah. pretty yeah. that's pretty snazzy. So, well, we're going to take a short break, and we're going to do some stuff, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk about consumer drones in general. So we'll be right back. 
We've got merch! That's right, the Benefit of a Doubt podcast has official merchandise, so now you can fly your fandom flag. We've got t-shirts, coffee mugs, and stickers all waiting to be shipped to your door, and you can buy them right now, today. These t-shirts will be on a limited run, so grab them while you can and join the hashtag friendwithbenefit movement. Just go to benefitofadoubt.com support and click on the Teespring logo. That's benefitofadoubt.com support and click on the Teespring logo. Once there, you can grab a t-shirt, a coffee mug, or a sticker and show your support for the show. So head on over to Teespring and pick up some merch today. Plus, there are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadoubt.com support. That's benefitofadoubt.com support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package. I hope you visit. I hope you don some merch. And as always, I thank you for listening. And we're back with Jonathan Feist of DroneRush.com, the premier drone website on the web. Go there. Link in the show notes. And uh, Mr. Feist, so now that we've talked about the DJI Mavic Air, you know, one thing I wanted to ask was, how has DJI so very much cornered the consumer drone market? Because it kind of has. (laughs) Oh, they certainly have. Uh, uh, One of the biggest things is just... uh, you know, the economics of, of scale or the scale of the economics, whichever way you want to look at this here. <laughs> DJI, they simply hire and employ a great number of teams of great engineers, and they have a lot of diverse divisions here. So, for example, off the top of my head, I don't know this for a fact, but okay. uh, if they continue with some of the previous manufacturing and research, you know, functions that they've done in the past, there's a very good chance the Mavic Air 2 was built on a by a different team than the original Mavic Air, by a different team that did the Mavic 2 Zoom, the Mavic 2 Pro, the Mavic Mini. Mm. You know, they have different teams, different sets of brains and eyes going in, into each of these things. Okay. And so they, they've done very well at just development, plain and simply development. Okay. You have companies such as Hubson. I love Hubson as a company, but they're basically a toy manufacturer. That happens to build drones. Okay. I met the CEO of the company, the, the gentleman who you know helped build it all, and he's passionate about building toys for children. He just happened to also have a you know a, an inclination to to build drones. Uh, whereas uh, you know on the flip side with DJI, you have these engineers who are, are passionate about the best flight, and then you know. Stage two of development is going into, okay, how do we make this work for the people? So they've just done great things of making the drones as reliable and and solid, mechanically speaking, as possible. Hmm, Okay. And then putting extra minds on it to, um, you know, make it good for the, you know, for the actual users. Okay. Okay. So um, what are the other? What are some other companies? Now, we've already talked about Hubson, and we've already talked about Unique. What are some other drone companies? If for some reason people don't want to buy DJI, what's another company that they should look at in order to pick up a new drone for themselves? Uh, now, here again, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking to get into, like, the hobby drones, you just want to fly a toy in your living room, 
there's good and bad. Hubson, again, is a good name, but, you know, SEMA, uh, S-Y-M-A, is another brand that you could look at just for, you know, the small toy class drones. Sure. And I recommend for everybody interested in drones, buy one of the $30 drones, fly it, learn how it all works, crash it, wreck it. You're not out too much money. Move on to bigger drones. Right. Uh, but when you're ready to step it up and you really want to get into, like, the camera experience, first of all, about 500 bucks is your starting point for a decent camera drone. Okay. The Mavic Mini is less expensive, and it's got a good camera, but it's still not 4K. And anyways, you know, yeah. $500 is, generally speaking, where you want to start if you really want to get a camera into the sky. Okay. And for a little bit more than that, you can get your hands on something like the Parrot Anafi. This is a great little drone. It, uh, it Its claim to fame is, first of all, it exceeds... 200 miles per hour, I mean 30 minutes of flight time, and I think it's up to 33 minutes of flight time, uh, but its camera gimbal is able to point upwards as well as downwards. Oh, wow, neat. And that's, yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a small thing, but that's its unique point, and, and it makes it stand out. Uh, if you live in Europe, again, Unique, Y-U-N-E-E-C, Unique is... is one of my favorite brands. You can get their bigger drones in North America, but right now they're small. Mantis G, Mantis Q. Okay. Forget the Mantis Q. Get the Mantis G. It has the stabilized camera gimbal. Um, you know, this uh, five $600 range drone that is uh, on par with some of the smaller DJI drones as well. That, that's a fun one to check out. Okay. So I want to talk about Hubson a little bit because you mentioned that they're more of a toy manufacturer, but you know, also a drone manufacturer. What what is it about Hubson that really that really grabs you? Like, what's your favorite drone from them? Honestly, my favorite drone from them is the H111. Okay. That is what I call a nano drone. I can fit the drone and the remote in one hand. Okay. It's just a tiny little thing. I can fly it right here on my desk. It's only got like four or five minutes of flight time. <laughs> but... This is, uh, for example, last summer, my nephew and my aunt came up, or came down, geographically speaking. You know, they came to visit for a week. Uh, my, my nephew at 12 years old, he was kind of interested in drones. This was the drone I bought for him. Just like, here, you can fly it in the living room. You cl- crash into the wall. You can't hurt anything. Like, you, you crash into the tissue box. You won't cut the tissue paper. Okay, it might cut tissue paper, but barely, you know? <laughs> You're such so a good uncle. Safe. Yeah, you know. Cool. Well, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. I'm not quite done with you yet. I do have something of a lightning round that I want to run you through of just Ooh. like real quick questions. We're going to get into some laws and stuff like that. So um, just, you know, short answers for these and uh, and we'll see where we end up. So what drone should someone buy for under $50? If you're flying inside the house, go for that Hubson H111. Okay. If you're flying Outside, check out the Hubson H107 or the SEMA X5C-1 Explorer. Okay. What drone should someone buy for under $200? If you're uh, under $200, if you're looking to get into racing, get in, look at the Walkera ro- line. Uh, they have, for example, the Rodeo 110. But if you're just looking to hang out you know, around the house again and fly a little bit, check out something more like the Hubson H501S. Nice. If you had your way, what one drone law would everybody know and follow automatically? Can I twist this one and throw it back at you? Yeah, sure. Uh, because I, I'm ultimately okay with the existing drone laws. Okay. What I wish was that everybody else understood 
that I'm flying legally and safely, and I'm not violating their privacy. Okay, so so if if you had your way, the one drone law that everyone would know and follow would be, I'm doing this legally, so just back off, Jack, and don't call the cops on me. Exactly. What one drone law is unfair, in your opinion? Right now, I think all of the drone laws are fair. Something potentially coming up, not potentially, very much so coming up, is remote ID. The FAA is working on making it so that every drone needs to be transmitting their exact location in the sky to the world. Hmm. That'll be publicly available information. Okay. Uh, the, the I am fine with the remote ID in theory. We have remote ID, if you will, on every car on the road. It's called a license plate. Right. We've already got a registered number, you know, a registration number on our drones it, you know, it, we've we've got the license plate figured out, but you can't read a license plate from 400 feet away. So we need something else, and I would be fine with a simple Wi-Fi broadcast. Hmm. Okay. But what the FAA is looking at requiring for all drones, this includes the $30 toys, is you know a full box that's connected to the internet and connected to their full systems and ready to go. So we're looking at a potential you know additional hundred dollars of R and D and heavyweight technology that needs to be added to a hand sized thirty dollar drone. Hmm. I don't see that going very well. Okay. So what drone law is not strict enough in your opinion? Hmm. The line of sight law, I believe, is not strict enough. Really? I get it. I'd love to be able to fly beyond visual line of sight. Okay. And the camera technology, especially things like this Mavic Air 2 with its 10-kilometer range. Mm -hmm. We're talking about 1080p HD video transmitted back to the device up to 10 kilometers away. That that's huge and that's very capable. Mm-hmm. But it's also a single camera viewing one single direction of the drone. Right. You bump into you know have to fly backwards and bump into a power line. You're you're in trouble. So I get why visual line of sight is absolutely required. Oh yeah. But there are circumstances. I recently wrote a number of posts talking about drone deliveries. I would love to have a drone drop off my box of toilet paper. But it's just not possible because... Because nobody has the, toilet paper. But, uh, you know, the delivery driver would have to park in front of my house and put the drone up and land it, you know, in my yard to drop off the toilet paper because he has to be within visual line of sight of my house. Mm-hmm. That leads me into my next question. So which do you think will get first? Drone deliveries to major cities or or fully autonomous driving cars? In major cities. <laughs> Absolutely fully autonomous driving cars. Okay, okay. Ground traffic always. Okay. Uh, because it's predictable, and if a car strays, it hits a ditch. Uh, don't get me wrong, when, when a, a car crash can be a horrible thing. Absolutely. But an aircraft falling out of the sky. When an aircraft loses power or control, it does one thing. It and that down. is hurt whoever's below it. Yep. That's right. Okay. A car can just hit a ditch and... and no harm done. Gotcha. All right. Well, and, and obviously you are more of a drone expert than you are a self-driving car expert, but it, it seemed a fair question to ask. So, Mr. Feist, <laughs> I wanted to thank you for coming on and being on my little show this week and telling us all about the DJI Mavic Air 2. And, um, and uh, yeah, what's what's one final thing that you'd like to tell my audience about drones or drone laws? Or I'm, uh, The floor is yours. The floor is mine. Yeah, you know, I, I, I hate to turn this 
you know, to the legal side of things. But but I have to be realistic. People, everybody, um, the FAA has rules in place. If you plan to fly your drone, please hit the FAA. Make sure you register your drone first. If you're flying commercial purposes, make sure you read those rules, get the certifications you need. Fly legally. The more people that break drone laws and get in trouble, the more restrictive laws become, and the harder it is for me to have fun in my backyard. So please, everybody, you know, follow the rules, check them out fly to a tee you can have fun with it and keep it all safe and happy for the rest of us and visit dronerush.com to learn all of those laws and i believe you have some drone pilot uh classes there right or you have a link to drone pilot classes something like that correct yeah yeah we've uh we've built up some resources so for yeah. your beginning pilot so that we can help you learn how to you know what some early mistakes are for your first fun drone flight and yeah. uh, all the way up through we can help you get your full part 107 commercial license if, if that's what you're hoping to do excellent excellent well mr feist thank you again for taking time out of your day to come on and chat about the things that you love so much and uh hopefully we'll see you in the skies sometime in the near future uh, thank you so much for having me So that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Of course, the show notes for this post also include links where you can pick up some of the drones that we talked about. And as always, if you buy a drone, we'll get a little cut of the proceeds, but it won't cost you a thing. Thanks very much to Mr. Jonathan Feist for coming on to chat about the Mavic Air 2. And thanks as always to my co-producer, Clifton M. Thomas, for all his hard work. And to you, I thank you for listening and for flying safe. And as always, for giving me the benefit of the doubt. <laughs>